This is Dr. Don Russell. I'm a board-certified general OBGYN with over 20 years of practice experience. SheSpace is a place where I can share my experience, recommendations, and knowledge, and some would say opinion, on women's health ranging from general health to menopause to pregnancy and everything in between. Today's topic is menopause. So this is a broad topic applying to a lot of women and some people are going to be really happy to hear about what I have to say today and some people are not going to be satisfied <clears throat> and that's to be expected. So first of all, let's start out with the definition of menopause. So there's a lot of words that are thrown around regarding this, including words like perimenopause or perimenopausal. The fact is, is that there's really only a single definition here, and that's that menopause is defined as one year without periods at the appropriate age, meaning over 35 or 40, most of the time 40. As we all know or have heard, this can be incredibly variable. So in other words, a woman who is 48 years old and has gone 10 months with no period and then has a period again is not menopausal yet. So the word perimenopause is usually what is used to describe this time period. The problem is it can apply to anything. And you can be what we call perimenopausal from the age of 30 on meaning that your hormones vary and meaning that you get some of the symptoms of menopause, but not all of them meeting the definition of menopause. Now, once you are have menopause one year without periods, you are menopausal then for the rest of your life. And that means that the symptoms that come along with this change in hormones can be with you for the rest of your life. Now, most people will find that a lot of them get a little bit better over time, but that still leaves us with you are either menopausal or you are not. So that is often what throws people off, is that variation in what people present as. Anything from a few months without a period to having a period every two or three months. And this is what confuses people on the definition. So let's go back to a normal ovulatory cycle very quickly. So when we are of an age that we are having ovulation every month or most months, we have a variation that's very regulated in our hormones in order to produce an egg and to send that out to potentially be fertilized. As we age, that process becomes much more variable. So the discussion that occurs between the brain and the ovary in order to form and develop an egg and release it starts to get a little more varied and sometimes doesn't happen. So anytime as we age, we can find that this happens every once in a while. So as we age, we will find more often that we may skip a period or may get a period a couple times in a month or even skip a couple three periods. And this just has to do with, as we age, this conversation between the brain and the ovary starts to break down a little bit. But reading between the lines, this also means that heading towards menopause is not necessarily a downward cycle. Rather, I think most people should think of it as a roller coaster up and down. And I think most women would agree they feel that way. 
So your hormones go up and down during this time. They go from a regular cyclic hormonal, which has its ups and downs as well, to being a little more steady state. But that's a change from the past and something that you and your body have to get used to. Because of this incredible variation, the symptoms of menopause are incredibly variable. So I think the most common one that I just talked about, well, actually the definitive one, is the irregular menstrual cycles. But that can be anything. That can be having a period every couple weeks. That can be having a period every two or three months. That can have mean having a period every two or three months and then having regular cycles again. All of that is common. And the fact is, is that you can talk to your provider about medicinal ways that we can try to regulate that so it doesn't drive you crazy. But the bottom line is it doesn't really harm you. It is annoying though. The other sentinel or well-known symptom of menopause is hot flashes. Now, these aren't just feeling a little warm in a room, although that can happen too. The hot flashes that we're talking about that truly disturb a woman's life are the type of thing where you can be sitting somewhere, not really doing anything, and all of the sudden, your face will turn red, there will be sweat dripping down your face, dripping onto your shirt, and this is an incredibly uncomfortable experience. It's also a very visible experience, and because people don't always like to talk about these things, it can be embarrassing. Those hot flashes can also occur at night, and women will be described waking up in the night with completely soaked pajamas or sheets and actually needing to change them. And this varies in between. So you can go everywhere from what I just discussed to perhaps slightly milder symptoms, but still disruptive to life and to sleep. Other things that are noted in menopause or, or noted or complained of by people are things like sleep disturbances or insomnia. This is a hard one because there's a lot of things that cause sleep disturbances and insomnia, including depression or anxiety or just life worries. But many women will note that as they are going into this transition and after this transition, that they will have incredibly disturbed sleep. Elevated heart rate is common, and that often goes with the hot flushes. Mood changes, such as irritability, anxiety, or depression, very common. But again, incredibly hard to differentiate. Is this because it's that time of my life where I'm transitioning from having periods to not having periods? Or is this because of other things that should be dealt with from a behavioral health point of view? Other symptoms, vaginal dryness. This one's really common, especially after or into menopause. Because with the lower estrogen that comes with this transition, that affects the vagina because the vagina is very dependent on estrogen. So when it doesn't have that estrogen anymore, it starts to get a little bit thin and it doesn't produce the moisture it used to. This can be uncomfortable just by itself or more frequently, it's uncomfortable during intercourse. Some women will also complain of urinary problems. And that often leads back to the estrogen again because the area around the urethra where we pee and that whole area in our vulva or our female parts is dependent on estrogen. And as that gets thinner and drier, 
that can cause some urinary symptoms or issues. Women will also complain of memory or concentration problems. And this is of course hard to define, but most women will tell me, well, I just can't remember as much as I could anymore, or I can't concentrate on anything. I cannot keep my attention to anything and get it done. And that's a hard one to address as well. And then most women will also notice skin changes eventually. This we think also comes back to the estrogen and its effect on the skin um, and perhaps getting that thinner skin. Now, as you heard me reference a couple of times during this list of symptoms, I referenced the idea that many of some of these symptoms are related to the lack of estrogen that we have because we are no longer making that egg in the ovary, which produces a lot of estrogen. And when we aren't doing that anymore, we don't make as much estrogen. Now we have a little bit around still, and that amount can fluctuate like I talked about earlier. And there are things that we know are from lack of estrogen. We know the vaginal dryness um, has a lot to do with lack of estrogen and how that tissue changes. What's interesting is things like the hot flashes we think is related to lack of estrogen, but it's incredibly variable from person to person about how this symptom manifests and how well people respond to treatment. So given that somebody comes in with all of these complaints and or some of them or one or two of them or maybe even just one, when we sit down to talk about what you can do, there's kind of, there's two main ways that we can go. So one, we can prescribe estrogen in the form of a systemic estrogen, meaning a pill or patch where the estrogen actually goes into the bloodstream. Or we can also prescribe estrogen as a topical remedy directly to the vagina or the vulva and the area around the vagina. It's highly dependent on the woman's symptoms about which way we should go. If a woman is complaining of system symptoms like hot flashes, sleep disturbances, mood changes, then it's going to make the most sense to think about a systemic, meaning a bloodstream estrogen. If the only complaint is vaginal dryness, or that's the majority of the complaint, then we would talk more about a topical estrogen. And the reason that that's so important is that we can use the topical estrogen, the vaginal estrogen, in a way that it doesn't absorb to a high level into the bloodstream, which means that it doesn't carry the risks that I'm about to talk about of the estrogen that goes into your bloodstream. So it's a basically benign medication that we can use that can help women a lot for the very specific skin vaginal complaints that they may have. The catch comes with the whole system estrogen or hormone replacement therapy, as, as most people will talk about. When we give estrogen, it's also important that if a woman still has her uterus, that we give her progesterone as well, because this offsets the estrogen at the level of the uterus to decrease the risk of uterine cancer that would be there if we just gave estrogen, but goes away if we give back progesterone. So when a woman who still has her uterus comes to me and has these situations like extreme hot flashes or night sweats, I'm gonna to talk to her about system hormone replacement, which is gonna be a combination of estrogen and progesterone. 
The catch about this comes from the history of hormone replacement, which I'm going to talk about briefly because it's important for where we stand today. Prior to 2001, most gynecologists, or at least a lot of them, were trained that a woman came into their office, reported that she was in menopause, and we automatically gave hormone replacement. It was just kind of what we did. In 2001, a trial was released that suggested that hormone replacement may have more risks and complication than previously thought. And that pretty much put the nicks on hormone replacement, at least for a few years after that. Now those risks specifically are increased risk of cardiac issues or stroke, and that was related to the increased risk of blood clot that can occur because of the estrogen. Now after that trial came out, a lot of women stopped their hormone replacement. And soon after what happened was a backlash. Many women came back into our offices and said, I can't live without this hormone. I'm miserable, I'm having an awful time. And further studies and further evaluations of the original study really came back around to, yes, there are some small risks, but there's also quality of life to think about. And so it came really back down to a woman's and a doctor's choice about what was important for a woman to treat and to make sure that we did it under safe circumstances. One important thing is that if a woman has been in menopause for several years, that is not a good time to just start medication because her body hasn't seen it for a very long time. And that's when the increased risk can really occur. So for one thing, we really mostly start hormone replacement therapy in that transitional time or immediately after the actual definition of menopause. It's still really important that we have the discussion with patients that there are small increased risks from hormone replacement, including heart issues, stroke, and we now know also a tiny increased risk of breast cancer. But these are very small risks. And for women who are living with these symptoms and they are disrupting their lives, that small risk may be well worth taking. And many women do choose to take that risk and take the hormone supplementation and feel really good about it. I would not be being consistent with myself and my general push to health if I just left you thinking that you have to get a prescription in order to help through menopause. There's also a very common belief amongst many practitioners that general good health will also help. There aren't good studies on this, and there's not a way that we can guarantee this, but it goes to be logical that a healthy exercise program, including resistance training, so strengthening muscles becomes more and more important as we get older, as well as smart nutrition, that doesn't include a lot of the simple carbohydrates or the processed foods that we know aren't great for our bodies, can also be really helpful for some of these symptoms of menopause. I also um, am highly recommending these days mental health and meditation because there's something to be said for learning how to calm down our brains and learn how to relax in an appropriate manner. That being said, I've also had many women who have had success with acupuncture. I don't understand this process of treatment, but I do know that women have reported success to me. 
Data is very hard to gather on this and hasn't come up with a conclusion, but there's also no harm in trying things like that, especially for those women who are either unwilling to take the risks of hormone replacement therapy or aren't good candidates because they've had breast cancer or they have a specific heart issue or a history of stroke. The other thing that can help with things like the night sweats or the hot flashes is really more on the logical side, and that's temperature modulation. So going to bed in a cold room with fewer blankets so that your temperature doesn't have to change so much as you go into sleep and your temperature drops. These things are hard to do though, and they don't always mean um, success for those wet sheets or those wet pajamas. As we come to the end of this beginning discussion of menopause, I can assure you of a couple of things. One, this is very unlikely to be the last time we discuss this. It's too big of an issue affecting too many women with too many different symptoms. But I think that's the message. You can recognize that if you have different symptoms that don't feel right or that you're unhappy about, there's nothing wrong with going to talk to a practitioner or provider about what this might involve or what, your, what can be done about your symptoms. Specifically, when you can immediately recognize that you're having those very irregular menstrual cycles that are probably related to the ups and downs of your hormones as they change. The second point is that we can talk about things that can help women. They don't have to just suffer in silence, but rather can discuss with their friends and with their providers different mechanisms of feeling better and helping with some of these life-altering symptoms. Importantly, know that you are not alone, that these symptoms can be pretty impressive and can disrupt your life, but that doesn't mean that you can't talk to somebody about how they might be able to be helped. So don't just sweat it out, talk it out.